Okay, so the reason I showed you that video is because it's just absolutely incredible, amazing. All of these things are going on and happening, and it's just like one moment. And now if you're ever bored, just go to their YouTube page and type in OK Go, and they have the most incredible videos. They have one where they're in a zero gravity, so they're on an airplane, and so you know you get these pockets of zero gravity, and when they hit these pockets, they do this like incredible stuff. But uh, it always like their videos always take like months and months and months of practice, and then they have to like execute it. And it's funny because like every so often like they'll like almost get it and then like mess up and they have to like go. So you can imagine like if they messed up like on that one, like 4.2 seconds, like a very like finite amount of time. And if one thing goes wrong, they have to like scrap and go all over. But most of us, I realize, like live our lives for like those one moment that like one type of thing where everything like works out, where it's good, like these big moments where it's amazing and incredible. But most of life is in that way. And in the hero's journey, what you so often see is like the hero starts off in this ordinary world. And uh, like you can even Google this. And what so often happens is when the hero has completed their quest, they arrive back in what is just an ordinary world. So in a way, they come all the way back to where they were from the beginning. Like they're always in the same spot. So I love this scene in Star Wars where like it's the return of the Jedi and Luke Skywalker is with Han Solo and they're about to be thrown into this pit and Luke turns to Han and he goes, you know, I was, I was born here and Han looks at him and goes, you're going to die here, that's convenient, you know, and he's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, cool, you know, but that's kind of what happens, the hero goes on this epic journey and then comes right back to where they started, but this is why you can have so many sequels, this is why we're on like Pirates of the Caribbean 7 now, because <laughs> Because it's like a circular thing, like the hero goes on this quest, like achieves whatever it is, and they, they arrive at the ordinary world and everything's okay, and then they get pulled into like another adventure. They get pulled into another adventure. And so I was thinking about this, like we've talked about this idea of the hero's journey. And so often, I've gone to so many church services where I walk away from it just feeling incredibly discouraged that I'm not Mother Teresa. Like... I guess just, it's, like they always like talk about Mother Teresa or they talk about like Martin Luther. They talk about some person that had this incredibly epic life and you're like, yeah, but I'm going to go home and like eat Chick-fil-A now. Like not on a Sunday, but like <laughs> of all the restaurants I could have picked. Um, but there's this idea of like, and I realized there's this like trap that could have fallen into like this course of talking to you all. And you guys could be like, the hero's journey is really cool and it's really interesting but that isn't my story. I don't do these incredibly epic things, and in fact, I feel kind of like a failure or a loser for not living up to these giant aspirations. And so today's class is kind of a disclaimer, which maybe should have happened at the very front of the class, but it's coming on the back end. Um, and uh, if the PowerPoint slide worked, there'd be a picture of McDonald's coffee, because in the early 1990s, there was this famous lawsuit where this woman spilled coffee through a drive-thru. Like, we might be familiar with this. It was a, a major precedent uh, for lawyers because the woman won the lawsuit for spilling hot coffee. And uh, I was reading about this, and it was really interesting because the coffee was, the temperature was at 105 degrees. So you could at least argue no coffee should be that hot, right? Like no one's gonna be drinking that for a little while. And it was this older 75 year old woman, and she spilled, and she got third degree burns. And so there was like these two, two different points of view. People were like, this is just opening up this like thing where we can sue people for whatever it is. And other people are like, no, this is like a real problem. And so as you know, whenever you go to Starbucks or McDonald's and you get a coffee cup, it'll have a disclaimer that says like, caution, contents and beverage may be hot. And we're all like, yeah, of course, but someone maybe didn't know that, or for whatever reason, we have these disclaimers. 
And so today's class is like a total disclaimer to everything we've talked about previously. And I can't wait for Patrick to hear this audio and be like, what was the point of the whole summer? <laughs> but it's this disclaimer. And the reason is, is because I want to tell you about the way most of our lives actually interact and what that looks like. So when I was a junior in college, uh, it was the last week before school started. And one of my best friends, he was at Duke and I was at uh, a school out near Memphis. And so in the summers w was when we could hang out. And he invited me to come over one night and was, I knew it was probably the last time I'd see him for at least three or four months. And I was really tired. I'd been working two jobs and I called him and I was like, I just don't know. And he's like, look, man, you've got to come over. Like, I just got the new Halo. We have to stay up all night playing it. Like, these are the thing that like college boys talk about doing and stuff. I was like, I don't know. And he's like, come on. So like, all right. So I got in the car and drove. And it was one of those nights I was, I think, a, it's like a tornado warning and I just didn't realize it. So as I'm driving, like the trees are just shaking. And I remember at one point, like a limb falls in front and I have to like swerve out of the way. And this was like two minutes into the drive. And I remember thinking, I should probably head home. So I called Andrew and I was like, I'm just going to turn around. And he's like, no, man, you've already started. Like, that's the hardest part. Like, just keep coming. So it's like, all right. So I keep driving. And like, as I drive, I'm just thinking more and more, this is a like, horrible idea. But finally, I like pull into his, like his subdivision. And right as I pull into it, this lightning bolt strikes. And it was one of those where there was no time for like the register of the sound. Like it was simultaneous. Like the bolt hit and then there was the like gunshot sound of the, the thunder clash. I remember thinking like that was incredibly close. And I keep driving. And I, but I'm like at his neighborhood. There's no point to turn back. So I'm driving down this neighborhood. And then I see like Andrew's house is on fire. Like I'm driving towards this house and I was like, oh my gosh, Andrew's house is on fire. And then as I get closer, I realize it's not his house, but his neighbor's house. I'm like, oh, well, that's good. Everything's okay. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, their house is on fire. So I like just punch it for like two houses and then hit the brakes and like pull into Andrew's house. And I run in. I'm like, Andrew, call 911. The house next door is on fire. I'm going to go rescue them, you know? <laughs> and so Andrew then is like, all right. And he turns, he's like, mom, call 911. <laughs> Tris and I are going to go rescue these people. And it was just pure adrenaline because I remember I took my shirt off and like threw it in a puddle and then like put it around my like face. I was like to protect from the smoke. Like I wasn't even in the scene yet, but I like, it's like, I'm ready, you know? So I've got this around my, and like bust into the front door. I was like, I can't imagine what the person who was like in the house thought, you know? Like, but I, I enter the front door and there's this older man, he's probably about 70, and he's just standing in the hallway, like, like nothing's going on. And I like was so, I think we were both shocked. I was like, he saw me, he was like, why is this shirtless young man in my hallway? And I was like, why is this seven-year-old man just standing here doing nothing? And I was like, your house is on fire. And he goes, I know, I can't find my car keys. And I just like did not compute. I was like, you've got to get out of here now. And he was like, I've got to move the car. So I find myself as like, you can start to see like the smoke is coming down, you know, from where the, the fire is. And we're like just searching for his car keys. And I was like, this is the weirdest like rescue. <laughs> like, um, and then Andrew bursts in and Andrew's like, you got to get out. And I'm like, we got to find his car keys. And, and I, we finally find his car keys. And like, I take the, the old man like to Andrew's house. And then Andrew takes like the older lady. And then we like get the cars and we're like, and it felt like very like anticlimactic. We get in the cars and we like speed out and then immediately turn and like speed one house over and then like pull into the driveway. But like we got him over and, and then the fire department showed up and the house just like burned down. Like it just was one of those like, and I remember like 
the couple was in the living room and my best friend's mom was like comforting them. It's like, everything is okay. But it was just like their house, just all of it burned. And I remember Andrew and I were like just sitting in his room at like four in the morning. And I was like, can you believe that all of that just happened? And of course being like young, like college guys were like, we just saved their lives. Like ignoring the fact that I'm sure they would have got out just fine. Like we didn't really prevent anything, but I was like, I was like, yeah, thank goodness we were there. Uh, I was like, can you, and I remember just thinking, I was like, can you believe this happened? And he was just like, no, this is crazy. Like, this is without a doubt, like, top five strangest things that have ever happened to me. And the thing is, like, I am now almost 31, and it is still, like, top five, like, strangest things that has ever happened to me. Uh, And the reason I tell you all that is because that is, uh, like, the exception. That's not the rule. Most days, what happens is, like, it's very normal. Like, in fact, it is, like, absolutely boring how normal my life is like it is completely average it's diapers it's running to target it's cooking dinner it's trying to get enough sleep it's maybe reading a book that i'm interested in it's watching netflix like most days it's just like the most obvious mundane existence so look at like john chapter 21 has we talked about this last week but there's something really interesting with john chapter 21 It's something that brings me a lot of hope. All right, so John 21, verse 9. When they got out on the land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love it because John... Like in this passage right here, he like combines something absolutely revolutionary that never happened with the most absolute mundane thing that you can possibly do. So Jesus has breakfast with his friends on the beach. That's it. It's nothing incredible. It's not a feeding of the 5,000. It's not people being raised from the dead. It's not Jesus walking on water. It's fish for breakfast. That's the strangest thing is they're having fish for breakfast, which probably wasn't strange at the time, but it would be for us, right? Like, that's it. Like, it's just simple. They're just having breakfast, Jesus and his friends. And then John's like, and he was resurrected. It's this weird, like, both and that's going on. Think about, I love this passage because it's just so mundane. It's so average. Jesus isn't doing anything incredible, anything extraordinary. He's just eating breakfast with his friends, which is something we all do all the time. We have lunch, we have dinner, we go to the movies with our friends. We hang out in this like extraordinary, ordinary life that we all have. And it reminds me of this other story in the beginning of the Bible. It's the story of Exodus. And so Moses is out and he's doing like the most basic of jobs. And he sees this, this bush that is on fire. And the problem so often with the Bible is like we've heard these stories so often that they just lose any kind of traction. It's like how you see a movie and you love the movie and then you see it a second time and it's still really good. And you see it a third time and you're like, I hope I never watch this again. So this is what happens when you have a two-year-old. I watched Monsters University for the first time like a couple months ago. I'm like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. 
It's great. It's hilarious. And having a two-year-old say Mike Wazowski is like the most adorable thing in the world. But a week after watching it every day, I'm like, I hate Mike Wazowski. Like, I just want to punt him into the sun, you know? Just, I hate it so much. And it's just like, and that's what, and I think that's what happens with so many of the, the stories that we read in the Bible. It's like, you're just so used to it. Like, I've heard the story a hundred times. It's like, I swear if this preacher gets up and preaches on the story of Moses and the burning bush, I'm just going to walk out. Like, you know, I don't think we actually said this. But like, it's just, you get so familiar with it. And it's so obvious. You can hear it every time. But it goes back to this idea that Moses shows up and he's in his normal, everyday life. And then he sees something spectacular happen. Something weird. Something that he can't put into quantifiable metrics. It's something that doesn't get explained. He doesn't know what to do with it. I love that when he walks up, God says, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy. And one of my favorite preachers, whenever she preaches, she kicks her shoes off when she gets up to the podium. So like, nobody sees it. It's not this like really flashy thing. But it's for her to have this moment where she recognizes I'm standing on holy ground. And when I was a youth minister, um, one year like, I told that to a bunch of the seniors. And they were like, hey, you know it would be really cool? If every time we met for class, we kicked off our shoes which was like in theory a great idea. But when it was like mostly senior guys, it just reeked, you know, when class started. But I loved like the idea. It's like, hey, we shouldn't like pause and take this moment of understanding that like life is holy, that this is, that things are holy. And so I want to give you guys this opportunity to like practice something. I want you to take five minutes. I'll keep the time. You can do it on your phone. If you're like me in old school and you like to write it down, I want you to like pick either yesterday or the day before, a very recent day, and I just want you to document like everything that happened to the best of your knowledge in that day. Like just scroll everything that happened. Like I woke up, I had breakfast. You can put what you had for breakfast if you wanted. Like went to my first class, like went to the second class, talked to my friend, watched Netflix for four hours. Like whatever it was, you know, took a nap for four hours, woke up, took another nap for four hours. Like just document everything that happened in that day. I want you to take like five minutes to do this. And then we're going to talk about it. Going to take five minutes.
Okay, that was five minutes. So look at your list. Then I want you to just write either above it or underneath it just this one question. Where in your day was it holy? And it's probably, if you're anything like me, it'd be like, nowhere. Like, it wasn't. Yet, like, yesterday, yesterday there was, there was nothing on fire that caught my attention. Yeah. There's no house on fire. Thank goodness, which is good. But you think about it, you're like, I did not, I did not see, I did not see a shrub that was burning and not burning, you know? It wasn't. It didn't happen. It's like I went through my day as usual. It was the same that it was yesterday. And this is what I think, this is what is probably the most insidious and most dangerous things to us, is that the monotony of life will absolutely end you if you don't pay attention to it. Because it will just keep coming. Every day you wake up and it's the same day all over again. It's like we're living Groundhog Day all over again. You know, you're like, are you kidding? It's like, again? Like, I have to go to this class again with this boring professor again who just reads the notes, who doesn't know who's in his class again? Like, I have to eat at this cafeteria again? And so we all live for these, like, these, like, one moments. Like, we live for this video, like, those videos where, like, just something big and exciting to happen, and it just doesn't, you know? And every so often you have these big moments, like you get married or you have a child or you get a new job, and you're like, this is awesome. But then that new job that you're so excited about, it's just like after a couple weeks, you're just like back in the ruts of routine. You're back in these patterns, and you're just getting killed by the monotony. Just like, what do I do with all of this? So you like pause, and you like notice the like normal average day that you've got going on, and you maybe just look a little bit deeper. You start paying like a little bit more attention. You look a little bit more closely to like what is actually going on. Because this is where things get interesting. I love Mr. Rogers. He's one of my absolute like favorite people in the world. Um, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers, he answered every letter that was ever written to him, which I think is phenomenal. Tons and tons of letters, and he would handwrite his responses back. Like, if that alone doesn't put you at, like, hero status, like, I don't know what would. Like, he just, and, uh, but one response was someone asked him what was the most incredible thing that happened in history. And he responded back. He said, I'm sure I don't know. But if it was, like, anything, any of the great moments in ha that happened in history, he said, I'm sure it happened in the wings. It happened on the sidelines. Like, maybe it was somebody forgiving someone else of some past hurt that went on to change the world. He said, it's in the little things that change. St. Teresa of Avila, she says, do small things with great love. So we all like yearn and desire for these like incredible big moments. These like hero's journey moments where we get to do something absolutely phenomenal. And we get those. And when we have those opportunities, seize them. Like take charge, do something big. But for most of us, it's these like finite little moments and we have these wonderful opportunities to do some really, really tiny, boring things with exceptionally great love. John, it was said when John was dying, his final words were, little children love one another. If you read the Gospel of John, like it's the reoccurring theme. If you read the epistles of John, it's love. It says, how will people know we are Christians? By our love. By the way we love each other. It's such a great litmus test. I've noticed, and it's interesting, 
people love to find out like where you stand by they'll ask like two questions They'll be like either are you a christian or like where do you go to church and it's so they can like easily identify like if you're one of us it's like nothing wrong with that but i was like what if you started asking people instead of like where you went to church is like who have you forgiven lately I'm like uh what <laughs> like i don't care about the the where you're going to attend that's great but like have you forgiven anyone lately uh how well do you love people um are you generous because those questions cut a lot deeper to other issues that like what it means to be a Christian. So you see all these like little tiny things. And the Jewish people have this, this idea and this belief that I think is absolutely beautiful. They think that all the good deeds that you do in this life are seeds. And these seeds turn into trees that were in the Garden of Eden. And they will last for all of eternity. And I was thinking about like, uh, one of my favorite Jewish writers, he said, everybody should write a book, they should plant a tree, and they should have a child. Uh, and I was thinking about this idea of, like, we went to my childhood home when I was growing up a couple years ago, and it was really weird because when you're a kid, things, things seem so much larger than they were when you're an adult. So I remembered there was this porch that we had. I used to leap off the edge. And one time I slipped and fell into the rose bush. I remember the fall was excruciating. And it seemed like I fell forever. And when I went back to visit, I was like, that rose bush is so small. And the ledge is so tiny. But as a kid, you know, it was gigantic. I remember there's this like tree that we had planted in our backyard. And it was this really cool moment of like, we went back and like it was a giant tree, you know. Like it was huge. Like it had 20 years. Think about what would our what would eternity look like if you got to start seeing all the little deeds you committed with great love, the trees that they had become through thousands and thousands of years of just growth and change. Like, oh, this was that time that I gave someone a couple dollars because that's all that I had. Like, now it's a giant oak tree in the Garden of Eden. Like, it's this giant tree in the paradise of God. These little deeds that we've got. We all have these like tiny little opportunities to do something extraordinary, something wonderful. And I think it's both like incredibly like humbling and incredibly encouraging because we all get these little opportunities to do something. Like every day, it's tiny things. It's little things. And it's amazing how those things stay with you, the little things that seem innocuous. And so I wanted to end by telling you the story. When I was a... I was, I guess, like 11 years old. There's this movie with Harrison Ford called The Fugitive. And uh, I really wanted to watch it. And it was rated R. And uh, my dad was like, you, you can't watch it right now because you're 11. It will corrupt you. It's <laughs> probably like good parenting. Um, but I really wanted to. And it was on like TNT. And I was like, Dad, you know, we could like watch it. It's, it's edited. There's not as many bad words. And my dad was like, no, you can't watch it. But that week I also had like our Pee Wee Hockey Championship. And it was like the weirdest thing that had happened. I don't know, like, I don't know how high or how maybe how low hockey corruption goes, but it had reached the Pee Wee level because what had happened was we won what should have been the championship game. And then the refs came back after the game and said for some reason it was disqualified. Like it didn't count. And we had to play again. So we had to play again. And the next time we played and we had two goals taken away during the game, and then the other team scored, and they gave them the goal, and then they won. I remember being nine years old and understanding that this was wrong. I was like, we have been cheated by middle-aged referees for a peewee hockey championship. And I remember just being so livid, and I have this like horrible affliction. When I get really mad, I cry. 
and it's the worst because there's nothing more intimidating than a crying angry person you know forget what you think you know about people that are angry and they yell watch out for people that are angry and they cry like just nothing's more intimidating than that and uh so i remember in I was just like in the car and I was so mad. I was like, we got cheated, dad. And I was like crying. And then I was mad that I was crying, which just made me cry more. My dad was like, I know. And it, it was my dad was this position of just powerlessness. You know, like he couldn't change anything. Like he couldn't go. And I was like, dad, like, why did this happen? My dad was like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like you lost, you got cheated. You don't have to like it. I'm sorry. And I was just like, this is the worst night of my life. For the rest of my life, I know for a fact this will be the worst. And my dad was like, okay. And so my dad, he took me to, uh, he took me to Kroger, and he took me to the snack aisle, and he's like, get whatever snacks you want. It's like, this is not going to fix anything. But okay. <laughs> so I, I got, like, got like that like cheese dip that's not real cheese, you know? It's just like orange paste. It's like pure salt. And like Doritos, nacho cheese. It was like all cheese. Like... <laughs> And Twizzlers. Those are the, and then my dad, like, and then this is, I remember where things started getting interesting, where you can kind of feel like, wait a minute. And then we went to Blockbuster, which is like a very dated thing to say. Um, and my dad, but my dad went in, left me in the car, and then came back, and then took me home and was like, okay, get a shower and get ready for bed. It's like, okay. So I got a shower, and then I got out. Hey, guys, we're not ready yet. <laughs> You're, like, so scared. I wish you could have seen it. <laughs> It's like the highlight of my week. The nine children donuts. Um, so anyway, though, as class wraps up. So we got home, and I heard my dad talking to my mom. And he was like, no, like, this has to happen. Like, and um, I was like, OK, fine. And my dad like, came into my room. And I'm like sitting there like, what is happening? My dad was like, come into the living room. And there was like all the snacks laid out. And like the fugitive was on the TV. And my dad was like, we're going to have to like, fast forward a couple parts but you can stay up and watch this. And I remember thinking, like, on a school night? <laughs> and uh, it was this big moment. Like, I remember I was like, this is what it means to be a dad. I was like, I will forever, like, pocket this. And one day when my kid gets cheated out of peewee hockey, I will know exactly what to do. Like, I have the owner's manual. And then, and this is what is the most bizarre part of the story. It was, this was, like, absolutely revolutionary for my childhood. Like, one of the biggest things that ever happened to me. Uh, and I talked to my dad about it like maybe a year ago. And I was like, hey, you remember this? And my dad was like, no. And I was like, what? It's like, this completely changed the trajectory of my life. Like, who knows what I, where I would have ended up if you had not let me watch The Fugitive at like 10 o'clock. My dad was like, ah, I'm trying to remember. And I was like, and I had to jog his memory. Like, I had to put jumper cables to them, his mind. And be like, do you remember? I was like. We lost the Pee Wee Hockey Championship. You brought me Fritos and Cheese Dip, and we watched The Fugitive. My dad was like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that was a good night. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and, uh, but, then I, but then I realized it wasn't that my dad, like, it didn't matter to him. That's not why he forgot. It just, it wasn't, like, a big deal for my dad to do this thing. Like, that was just, like, what my dad, like, that's just what parents do. I was like, for me on the receiving end, though, it was absolutely huge. And my dad was like, it was nothing. It's like a $2 movie and $10 worth of snacks. My dad was like a little tired for work the next day. That was it. But for me, it was huge. So I, th I think about this. I tell you that story because we have these opportunities to do really small things that seem like they don't make a big difference. 
but then like years down the line, people might come up to you and be like, do you remember when you said this or when you did this? And you'll say, no, I don't. And they're like, I do. I remember this moment and it forever changed this day. It rescued me. I was having the worst day. And then you said this thing, or you gave me this thing. You handed me a flower, or you took my, my dishes and put them through the, the cleanup line. Like, whatever it was, you did this thing. And so, like, as you think about this hero's journey, and you think about this, like, circular pattern we all find ourselves in, I just encourage you to look for the small things. Look for the things in the wings, for the people that are being overlooked, that aren't being paid attention to. Look for those tiny little things you can do to help out. Because those are the things that make all the difference in the world. I want to close in prayer for us. God, I thank you for this class and for this time that we've had together. I ask that uh, we all just take an inventory of the gifts that we have. We ask how we can hand them over to you so that we might glorify you. I ask that you, uh, you just remind us that we're not really called to anything great or big, but just simple acts of love tiny little things that you accumulate over time to know that love eventually wins out over evil, that good will conquer sin, and that you will sit on the throne forever. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for such a fun summer. It's a great class. You guys are all wonderful. Good luck this semester.